Audio Slaves lays out a sentiment that's pretty easy to grasp and uh, pretty easy to uh, agree with, is that we, we often feel like somebody always wants something from us, and if we give them this much, then they're going to want some more. I mean, we, got, we have proverbs about this, you know, give them an inch, they'll take a, they'll take a yard, you know, and there's something about our society, I think that's really encouraged that, where we're always being sold something. Everybody wants something from us, and, and, and we get to that place of going like, you know, what do you want? How much? You know, how much do you want? How much is enough? How much, how much do I need to, how much time, how much money, how much do I need to give you so you'll leave me alone? Because there's this constant press, we feel like, for more, and quite honestly, we feel stretched to limit as it is. As intuitive as that is, uh, I'll just tell you up front, my intent is to flip it hard. Quite honestly, I don't think we're asked too much. I think we're asked too little. Perhaps we haven't find, found that thing that we want to give everything into, but we're asked too little. You know, there's nothing particularly winsome, powerful, appealing about sort of giving a little bit into something, giving some tokens, serving a little bit. It, you know, it's, it's pretty lukewarm and barren. Our, our, uh, our hearts are moved by stories of people weighing in wholeheartedly, not going, how much more do you want? I take you back to Iron Man. When Iron Man discovered he had created chaos in the world around him, it would have been tempting. And, and I contend it would have been more fitting with how normally we see the, 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 you know, life go if, if Iron Man, Tony Stark, had said, what a mess I've made. I am going to start a foundation. And I'm going to give, I'm doing a press conference. Got to get a cheeseburger, then I'm doing a press conference. Tony Stark, we're giving 50000 bucks, Right like that. You know what? We're going to give 100000 And I'm going to volunteer three hours of my time a week to help out people less fortunate because my eyes have been opened. My eyes have been opened to the chaos of the world and so 100000 bucks in three hours a week. Is that enough? And in most cases, we would have gone, wow, that Tony Stark. Look at him, how generous. Tony Stark, as Iron Man, as flawed as he is, saw the chaos and full bore went in. It would have made a lousy movie and a terrible comic strip if he had given 50,000 bucks. Deep down, in the best part of our soul, we want something to compel us so that we are not begrudgingly offering up something. Deep down, our soul resonates with the idea of being all in, of, of passionately offering our life away. You know, Jesus makes this rather, uh, you know, seeming obtuse statement where he, he, he looks out at his, his, his people and he says, if you want to you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lose your life for my sake, 
then you'll find it. And he lives out this ethic that your life is going to be full, powerful, complete, lived well when with passion. Not because somebody told you to. Not because you had to. Not because it seemed like you're giving more than the next person. But because something within you is so captivated that you want to throw your life into. He goes, that's when you find it. That's when you find your life. You know, I am um, captivated at some level by abstract art. And one of my great missions in life is that all of you would be too. So, today, a brief discourse on Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock was the uh, founder of a school of art called Action Art, which is a form of abstract expressionism. And Pollock's art truly broke conventions. Something snapped in him one day, and he threw a canvas on the floor and began to dump paint onto it, throw paint on it. He got rid of paintbrushes and started to use sticks and knives and, and carve things into it. He would say, direct quote from him, at times I was in semi-ecstasy as I was inside the painting. Well, why? Jackson Pollock caught a vision of art that was so deep in his soul, he went all in. In other words, he didn't paint a nice painting of a house and some trees, and then up in the corner he spilled some paint. Getting radical here. Got to put a little paint up in the corner. Something totally different. But, you know, we're staying within the whole representational thing. He took his entire giftedness and poured it into a brand new style of painting. Why? Something had passionately grabbed him and he wanted to put everything into it. That's how I want to live. I believe deep down... That's how you want to live. Pour it out, finding that place of passion and captivation where you're no longer skittering around the edge of things, dipping your toe in, but you've found the space to wade in fully. That is what we talk about today. And to do so, we're going to look at a couple of different passages in the Bible. Once I get rid of this... And the first is in Acts chapter 4. Acts is the story of the early church. I mean, and this, again, brand new here. You know, straight out of the wrapper, a few days, and they are, uh, there is a movement going on. Very quickly, there's a movement going on. And this is this couple of verses about what is happening in the midst of this group of people. This is the fourth chapter of Acts, and it said, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, that was radical. <laughs> this was different. You know, here's a group of people gathering together and they're starting to sell everything and give it away because why? Somebody needs something. So they sell something. It's so radical that, that some people couldn't really hang with the program. And so in the next chapter, you see this story where this couple, they have some land and they decide we're going to get in on the whole you know, generosity thing. We're going we're to sell some land. 
And uh, we're going we're gonna to give a, a significant portion, some portion, some percent of that land, of that value to Peter, who's, who's you know, the ringleader of this community that's giving stuff away to people who don't have anything. And, but we're going we're gonna to say we gave the whole thing because that's what you do here, apparently. So they went forward and they said to Peter, hey, Peter, we sold a piece of land, and here's, here's the proceeds, all of it. This is the whole proceeds. He said, really? You, you, you sold it, and this is the whole proceeds? Yep, mm-hmm. this is it, all of it. This is exactly, we're giving it all to you, because that's what we want to do. And he says, you know that land was yours, right? You, you know you, you didn't have to sell it? Nobody, nobody's telling you to sell land. You're clear on that, right? Yeah. You know, you don't, if you sold it, you don't have to give a cent of it away, right? Or you can give some portion of it away. You know you don't have to give the whole thing away. You realize the reason that people did that is because something captivated their heart and they longed to give. You know that that's because they wanted to do, right? Yeah. Well, then why'd you do this? And then it goes really sour after that, and we're not going to get into that. But they missed, they missed a central point, which we often miss. I mean, relatively speaking, they did a good thing. Seriously. You know, really, they, they sold a piece of property and they gave some portion. I don't know, some portion. That's a good thing. But their heart wasn't really captivated. They cared more, far more about what it would look like to the community if they didn't give it all. Whereas it appeared what was going on was this organic, dynamic <clears throat> movement where people were just going, there's a need? Well, here, take it. It was a radical generosity that appeared to be spurred simply from the heart with nobody telling him to do it. In a few moments, I'm going to come back to where in the world that comes from and how we break this insidious cycle in our lives of, of, of trying to live out of guilt and, and penance and performance and comparison and find instead a place of release that allows us to radically give our life away in a way that fuels us and gives honor to God and serves the world. But before we do that, I want, I want, I want you to look at a story here. I'm going to let you see one story of someone at Warehouse because it's going to give you a picture of just what it might look like for an ordinary person like you and I to give our life away. My name is Stellan Tarski. I've been coming to Warehouse for a little bit over three and a half years. I think folks that would that know me would describe me as someone that's quiet to myself and has a great passion for photography. The reason I'm here is talk about serving the community and something that has always been uncomfortable and unnatural for me until really recently in, in coming through Warehouse I've discovered uh, an organization called A Better World. It's an organization that serves uh, children at risk in some of the most challenging communities here in Charlotte. And so with this community, with this organization, I've really learned and discovered these kids and on many levels I believe we discovered each other. One thing that struck me the most is really Bruce's message and I'd like to give Bruce all the credit in the world but I think God was speaking through him to me actually I felt that very much and he said something very profound he said you know 
you can serve others in your community um, and sometimes we do it out of guilt if you can cast that guilt aside because it's only temporary serve others truly engage in their lives by serving through a passion a talent that God has given you and if you do so it will last a lifetime and so I knew immediately what my purpose was uh, and it was to sat down with Keisha and Mark Dickman and, and really start a photography program at A Better World, which they didn't have really any creative programs um, to offer the children. So it seemed like a natural fit. And as a result, a year and a half later, eight students, thousands of, of photographs that they've taken and some taken that taken for the first time, and multiple field trips, I've truly learned how to engage in these uh, children's lives. And I think, I feel on many levels that I'm probably just as rewarded from those experiences as they have. And so, just recently, in just beginning of the year, in March, we had a gallery show with all their photographs. We had over 300 people come walking in. So instead of just myself engaging in the lives of these children, there are 300 other people, other souls coming through the gallery here at Warehouse. And as the children stood in front of their photographs and their images, um, with their chests out and, and, and proud, people were asking and engaging them. It was an incredible experience to see their self-esteem grow right before your eyes. And there are a couple of just small interactions that, that, that I recall um, from that night. Um, it seemed like a blur. But uh, one of the students, Mia, comes up to me and says, Mr. Tolevsky, I had a district attorney come and talk to me about my pictures. And she said, I want to be a district attorney. It was uh, nothing I can do but, but smile ear to ear. It was just incredible. Just the experience that they had, the, the joy that they had, and, and the joy that I had from that experience um, is, is incredible. So I, I guess my point is that you know, I'm just a regular guy to myself. Quiet was uh, uncomfortable and truly engaging in the lives of others, strangers. And I feel that if, if I can do something like this, uh, pretty much anyone else can. Because I truly believe God has placed a passion, a talent in each and every one of us. And, and that serves as our purpose to serve others in need because it'll last a lifetime. You would never know <clears throat> Stevens' name being associated with this other than we've put it forward. He wouldn't have done it. Um... He and some others I'm going to talk about, many of you, found this to be true. In a book that Paul, the guy, he was the, became the leader of the church to the non-Jews, he wrote this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. They were all given passion gifts, resources, time, money that were all given 
And we always, always have two options before us. One is to hoard it. And we can hoard it in ways that don't look that bad. They're socially acceptable. But we can hoard it. Carefully use a little at a time. And get to the end of a day, week, month, year, life and go, I've conserved my resources well. I have not spent them all. You don't want to hold back what you've been given. Imagine running a marathon and getting to the end and going, I feel pretty good. I did not spend all my energy. I could run another one. Then you go, that's great, but this one's over. If you saw the women's marathon in the Olympic, it was, it was a stunning moment of somebody being all in. The, the, the winner of the race at 11 miles with a cluster of other women broke free on her own. And she gave a, a staggering distance between them. And for the next 15 miles, she ran flat out to win. Can you imagine getting to the end of that race and going, well, I came in seventh, probably could have won, but I feel pretty good. Fulfillment, satisfaction in life comes when we give fully of who we are and we see it poured into the lives of other people and it's it's spent. And I am continually struck by how literally hundreds of people at Warehouse do this all the time. Back in that room in our, our... art gallery there's a new show going getting ready to go up and it'll be up next weekend and it is a incredible amount of work (laughs) they're doing something very different this time and Jonathan Growl who's the artist who's being featured and Jonathan Carmichael who's the head of Studio 242 and Josh and Dusty Jensen who are volunteers in other places because they're involved with Jonathan Growl and his life and his small group they have weighed in with an unbelievable number of hours in order to create a gallery that will have a missional effect as people will come from outside a warehouse and will see creativity expressed and perhaps come to see that their life and their creativity can be expressed and perhaps come to see this the God of creativity who's calling them to himself. They have weighed in untold number of hours to do this. And I promise you, we did not go to Jonathan Growl and say, Jonathan, look, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on. Could you just could you give us a little time? Could you, could you do a little show for us? Could, you know, could you put up a, could we have some of your pictures? We have the, the painting, just a small series. And, and Jonathan, well, what do you want? You want blood? Fine. Okay. I can, I can squeeze in this. I promise you that is not what happened. That Jonathan weighed in. And others followed along. Like Dusty, who sings in one of our worship bands. And when she doesn't sing in one of our worship bands, she's with the one-year-olds. Because there's six million one-year-olds back there. 
and Kristen Randalls, who's singing today. And next week will be, uh, she's a team leader over all the one-year-old teachers. And people in the parking crew who come early week after week. And people in the coffee team who spend hours serving people who can come in. And people in kids' warehouse who weigh into our kids' lives week after week. And I'm continually staggered by the fact that people have chosen to weigh in. And the question, the overwhelming question is why? Why did these people sell their houses? Why did Stevan put on that show? Why does Jonathan put his artwork back there? Why do Dusty and Kristen serve in multiple locations? Why do people on a Sunday morning get up early to park other people's cars? They got jobs. Why? There's a few reasons. One is that deep sense within all of us that we want our lives to be poured out, that we don't want to linger on the edge. But there's two other massive factors, and they're both found in that passage in Acts 4, and I want to briefly go back to that. One of them is implied, the other is right there on the surface. Implied in that passage in Acts 4 is that these people had this profound sense of gratitude that something had been done for them so significantly that they were seeking ways, seeking ways to serve the world around them. They believed what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, that they believed with all their heart that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he had entered space and time with them in mind and that he had lived and taught and then died and rose so that people like them could be connected with God for all of eternity. So that they could find, as we talked about two weeks ago, concrete hope for their lives. And as it happened in their heart, it was like, how do I... Where do I, where do I give this away? There's, there's so much going on in, in, in me. How, where, where, just show me, show me where to give it away. The truth is, as much as our soul longs to give our life away in ways that are bigger, until your heart is captivated by gratitude, you will wait. Until you believe and know for you that God found you worthy enough, beautiful enough to rescue and bring back to himself. It wasn't just gratitude, though. There's another thing that looms to me. In the beginning of that passage I read, it said, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Together, they had decided something. That as we look at around at a world and feel like at times as something happens, we want to be involved somewhere, they believed they had found it. They believed they had found the actual mission for which it was worthwhile to weigh in with whatever, that nothing that was spent for that would be wasted because it was the mission that mattered. You know, one of the things that Stevan said was that he caught a glimpse one day that what he did could affect people for a lifetime. And we who are followers of Jesus believe that our lifetime 
does not end. That we are eternal beings. And that there's a mission that is involved with having normal, everyday people have their lives changed for now, for tomorrow, and forever. And when that grabs hold, what, what, is, what would be too much? When that's grabbed hold of some who call themselves followers of Jesus, you just want to weigh in. Because the mission is so magnificent and so large in scope. Those things come together. And then it comes to decision points. I say this all the time. You don't have to do anything at all. You don't have to do anything I say. You don't have to do anything your parents say. You don't have to do anything your spouse says. You don't have to do anything anybody says. The choices are always ours. They're always ours. But we either weigh in full bore and find life or we don't. Last week, this week, this week, a few days ago, I was gone for an extended um, speaking engagement to some high school kids. And I spoke five times in two days. The third time when I spoke, this does not happen every time. It was one of those moments. When I felt like there's this this place where Paul says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. It's what it felt like. Literally, it it was one of those moments where as I was speaking, I realized, okay, everything, with, everything within me is, is being poured out here. And I finished, and I, I, I mean, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even talk to him. I walked away. I, had, I sat in a rocking chair. It was a really beautiful spot. So anyway. But I walked away. I mean, I was emo- I'm never emotional. I was, I was emotional. I was almost overcome. I felt absolutely drained. It was like every... I loved that experience. <laughs> to feel as if I, as an insignificant in the grand scheme, and maybe even in the medium scheme as I am, to feel like who I am, really, not me, not, not trying to be anybody else, who I am was just now fully poured out into a moment that could affect other people's lives. I mean, I was, I was stunning. <laughs> I want that for every one of you. See, years ago, I never wanted to speak. Ever, ever, ever. Never wanted to speak. I am a card-carrying introvert. I avoided any public presentation anywhere, in any setting. In every class I ever went to, I sat in the back of the class. I never raised my hand. I never spoke up. All my teachers assumed I was an idiot. I sat in the back of the class. I said nothing. Why? I don't want to speak with people looking at me. You're looking at me. I was terrified of doing it. And then I went to speak one time because it just, I was, I had, you know, had to. But the first time I called in sick, seriously, called in sick, not feeling well, can't do it, sorry. The next time, I walked up, I grabbed the pulpit and held on for dear life. 
My professor later accused me of making him seasick because I went like this the whole time. I held on for dear life because I was terrified. Right before I spoke, and this happened not just that time, but for for the next 50 times I spoke, seriously, I'd go up there and I'd go, God, please don't make me do this. I don't want to do... And I'd go do it. Why do I tell you that? Because at some point, knees shaking, uncertain of who we are, we sense deep inside we have something to offer. We sense we have photography. We sense we're able to serve people simply by our presence. We sense we have a a gift in art or in teaching or just companionship. We sense something of who we are and at some point you gotta you gotta go. If you don't step into it I'm sorry, it's gonna sound slightly melodramatic. If you don't step into it, you doom yourself to hanging on the edge. And I know it's not really how you want to live. I um, once said I would never quote from the Lord of the Rings again. A sufficient amount of time has passed. I'm now reserving the right to selectively... It's a classic. It's not just a movie. It's a classic. I, I've always been captivated by the fi- figure of Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo, if, if you don't know who it is, I don't have time. Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> the Hobbit. And in the early, Tolkien paints this really, really great picture of, of Baggins. And he's talking about us. And he says Bilbo Baggins has two sides to him. On one side, he has the Baggins side. The Baggins side of him just wants to sit in his hobbit hole. It's a nice hobbit hole. It's big. It's got lots of food. The, the, the bag inside of him wants to sit and, and, and have tea and, and eat 11 meals a day. Isn't it 11? No, it's seven. Seven meals a day, which would hobbit... St- and, and he just wants a nice life and be fat and happy. And what's wrong with that? And, you know, enjoy comfort, convenience. Then there's the bag and the, the, the took side of him. The took side of him wants adventure, wants exploration, wants to venture out and see what the world has to offer, wants to live beyond his little hobbit hole. And so he has a, a choice. And you see the battle raging and he sort of, Gandalf kicks him into it. And as he's kicked into it, something happens. He realizes I was made for more. Comfort and convenience are fine, but come on. Is that what I really want? To have tea at the right time? To make sure all my meals always come? And he finds something bigger. A life worth living. I'm going to challenge you to do one of three things this week. I have, um, in my kid's life, there are some people who are weighing in heavily. And they are helping my kids understand who they are. Mason has a soccer coach who is phenomenally talented, who weighs in. He sees who Mason is. He's given himself away to that. Evan has some drama and dance teachers 
who see who he is, some science and math teachers who see who he is and they're weighing heavily into helping him to live in that. Abby has a gymnastics teacher who spends ridiculous amounts of hours pouring into her, not simply as a gymnast, but into who she becomes because she sees her. You've got to get who you are. You've got to get your passion. I am challenging you this week, not next week, not the month after, not somebody down the road, not in the list you're going to look at later. I'm challenging you this week. If you do not know where your passion is, if you haven't had those people weigh into your life, I'm challenging you this week to step forward to talk to Shannon or to talk to Steve or to talk to Mark or to talk to Tamara or to talk to me and seek to understand who you are and how you weigh in. Don't wait another week because you know how you are. You just, we just let things go. This week. If you already know who you are, if you've had the benefit of people weighing into your life, if you understood who you are, then what I'd say to you is step into it. There is a world waiting. There are needs all around us. There are needs here. There are needs through us. Step in. Give life away. You will find it. Money back guarantee. I I promise you. I promise you. You give your life away, you'll find it. Second thing, second thing you can act on this week, if you're already moving in an area of passion, you know some people who are not. You know some people who are living in that spectator zone which is doing nothing for them, their soul. Make the sometimes awkward relational move and walk into their life this week and challenge them to leave the bag inside behind and become a took. You might not want to say it that way. They might not go with you. Challenge them to step forward. Help them discover who they are. Help them discover how they can weigh in. Why? Because their soul will grow in the midst because God will be honored and because the world will be changed. Action point three. You know how often I have numbers in my message, so just hang with me. Action point three. There's some people in your life who have never understood that God is passionate about them, that he loves them, that he came to rescue them, that they in Christ can have a life that is full and free. I challenge you this week, step into their life. Engage in a conversation. Bring them to the gallery show. Bring them next Sunday morning. Take that often difficult step and move into somebody's life. Why? Eternity. Life. Fulfillment. Peace. For them. It's always our choice. Life awaits. Impact can be had. Devin is not an anomaly. He is simply somebody who heard a call, understood who he was, stepped into it. Let's pray.
Lord, we're often really clear about why we linger around the edge. We're a little afraid. A little afraid of committing. A little afraid somebody will ask for us more than we're willing to give. And we understand all these things about us. I pray that you would instead show us not places we're being pulled, not things that are driven out of guilt, but instead show us the pure crystalline vision of you having waded into our life and given us of yourself. Of us having been born and shaped through our experiences with passion and gifts that can be used. And a mission worth weighing into. Please, Father, keep it that simple before us so that all else gets put to rout. And then give us the courage to step forward into the mission you've made for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.